Well, we're going to continue to worship the Lord this morning with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings. And I know we're pretty new into the year. Some of you are probably still on track to keep some of your resolutions. Uh, but one of the things I've really been thinking about as I've been reading through the Bible and my one-year Bible plan is this over and over again is that God continues to reveal himself as the God who is so worthy. And there's a lot of things that I've had that I've done for maybe different motivations or I've seen motivations to do something in obedience to God because I thought there was reward or blessing that came along with it. But the thing that's really just taking over my heart this year uh, and what I'm probably going to spend a lot of time teaching on this year and it's what I'm telling my kids more and more every day is that Jesus is just worthy. Like, that's it. That's what it all boils down to, is Jesus is of so much worth and value. There's nothing that's like him. There's no one that's like him. And the reason that I live my life in obedience to him is just because of the fact that he's worthy. If that's it, that's it. And so, uh, as we tithe and as we give this morning, I remind you, the reason why we do this, it's great that we support a lot of missionaries and what God's doing here in our church. I'm so grateful for that, but ultimately what it comes down to Jesus is worthy. So, Father, this morning, as we give to you, we're so grateful that you first gave to us. And, Jesus, this morning, even with our giving, we declare that you are worthy. And, Jesus, we do pray that you would come and that you would use everything we give to continue to advance your kingdom all across the face of this earth. But, Jesus, the motive of our heart this morning is that you're worthy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, hey, if you're new here today, thank you so much for being our guest. We're so honored that you chose to be here with us today. Uh, in the seat backs in front of you, there are some communication cards. And we'd love to have you fill one of those out, and you can turn it in at Guest Central. There will be some people there who would love to meet you. So right as you walk out the doors, there's the Guest Central sign. And uh, we have a little gift bag that we want to give you as a way of saying thank you so much for being our guest this week. Uh, also, we have a night of worship coming up next Sunday, the 21st, at 6.30 p.m., uh, and I can't tell you enough how awesome our last night of worship was in November. It was by far my favorite service we've ever done up until today. This will be a good one. But, but it was just so incredible just to come and to gather and to seek after Jesus and to worship him. And we found his presence in a way that's unlike any other setting because we come for one purpose and one purpose alone. So next Sunday night... 6.30, I encourage you, do what it takes to be here. You can bring your kids in. My kids were making a mess of crackers in the front row that other people had to clean up. I'm so sorry. But it's important that we come and we teach our kids to worship and put them in the place where they can encounter the presence of God. So you don't have to get a babysitter. If you want to, you can, but just come on out. Let's worship Jesus together next Sunday at 6.30. Also, we have our breakthrough series coming up starting February 18th, and I'm really excited about this one. It's going to be six weeks of us going through a series that's all about how do we see breakthrough for the things that we're waiting on God to do inside of our lives. And that's something that every one of us can relate to. We've all, at some place, we've come up against a wall that we need to break through. And it's just going to be taking the time to look and see how is it that people in the Bible saw God's breakthrough. And what is it that God himself has revealed to us about the ways that we see breakthrough from him in our lives. So it's going to be incredible. And here's how you can help me out is I recognize that when you do something like this, coming on Sunday mornings is good. I'd encourage you all to do that. Uh, but you'll only get a half early of what's available if all you do is come on Sunday morning. We want to be able to dive into this in small groups and really be able to talk about it with some other people, be able to share, to pray with each other, to encourage each other. Um, for six weeks going through this series, we have a book and some video teaching that will go along with it. So if you can host a breakthrough group for six weeks in your home, just one time a week for six weeks where people get together and you watch the video and then you go through a chapter in the book, 
uh, we would love to have you do that so that we can make more room for more people to be able to come and engage in community and also be able to work through breakthrough with the rest of you. Um, you can sign up for that at radiantA2.com. There's a breakthrough tab right on the right-hand side there, the homepage. Or you can go out to Guest Central and someone there can help you sign up to be a breakthrough host. You might say, well, I'm not a teacher. You don't have to be a teacher. You just have to be able to hit play on a DVD player, a stream of video, uh, and facilitate a discussion. It's super simple. If you've never led a group before, it's a great way to test your feet and see if it works for you for six weeks. And if you hate it, you can be like, I'm never doing this again. But at least I gave it a shot. But you won't hate it. It's a lot of fun. I feel like I'm really underselling this now. Uh, and then in a couple weeks, we'll have it available for you all to be able to sign up to join a group. Just getting a few more leaders first. Hey, if you have your Bibles with you today, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 4, the two texts that we're going to be looking at today as we're continuing our series, 21 Days of Prayer. And the whole idea behind this is that instead of starting out like we usually do where we fast and pray for 21 days as a church, and then we go back to life as normal, uh, I really want to spend 21 days first teaching on prayer and fasting so that we have a greater understanding of why we pray and fast and what happens when we pray and when we fast. Because for a lot of us, I mean, you're not born knowing why you pray and fast and how all of that works. We need to have learning about what Scripture has revealed to us for it. So we want to take the first 21 days just to start learning the habit of prayer and understanding why we do it, how we do it, and fasting. And the first week we talked about that we, the church, the people of God, we have a mandate to pray that a lot of the ills that we see existing in the world continue to exist because of the fact that the church doesn't pray. In fact, God told the people of Israel when they were in exile and their country was just terrible and falling apart and they're crying out to him saying, like, God, how could this have happened if this is your promised land, if we're your promised people? Like, how can the world be so bad? And God says to them, if my people who are called by my name, meaning if you're following after Jesus, if they will repent if they'll humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and pray, then I'm going to heal your land. It doesn't say get the right people in office or you know, convert everybody to your faith and then they're going to do it or to your denomination. It says if my people, the people of Jesus, if they'll repent, if they'll lead the way in seeking after Jesus and praying, that then he's going to come and he's going to heal our land. So we as Christians have a mandate and a command to pray, and really the fate of the world, I don't want to make it sound like a comic book, but really the fate of the world rests in your hands, or I should say in your knees when you pray. So we need to pray. In week two, we talked about uh, that sometimes we're not seeing the answers to our prayers, and the, the disciples ran into this, and they asked Jesus why, and he says, it's because you don't have faith. They're like, what? And he says, the problem is you're unbelieving, meaning that you're not connected enough to me, and you're perverse, which means that you're too connected to the world. And he gives them the antidote. He says that you need to pray so you can connect to me, and you need to fast so that you can disconnect from the world that's around you. And when you do these things, when you connect to me and disconnect from the world around you, then your faith is going to grow, and then you'll see the answer for the things that you've been praying for. And this week, what I want to talk about is fasting. Why do we fast? How do we fast? And what is the role of fasting in the life of a believer? I want to start out by looking at Romans chapter 8. And I love the book of Romans. And Romans chapter 8 is one of the just like really powerhouse chapters in the book. And what it does is it helps you to understand spiritually what's going on inside of the heart of every believer. So um, beginning in verse 4, Paul's been talking about why Jesus came and he died on the cross. And he starts by saying he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature 
but instead follow the Spirit. Underline that, circle that. We don't follow our sinful nature anymore, but instead we follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful, nat so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God, and it never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And skipping over to verse number 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, meaning in light of the fact that now you can be controlled by the Holy Spirit and His desires, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. He ends this beautiful passage by saying that you, if you're a believer, then now you're not distant from God, you're not far removed from God, that now you've been adopted into his very family. You're a child, and that word Abba, that means like daddy. It's what a little kid says to their father. He comes saying, daddy, father, that the Holy Spirit has done such a miraculous work inside of you that you went from being an enemy who was hostile towards God, controlled by your sinful nature, and now you have a, the Holy Spirit inside of you who causes you to cry out relationally to God, Daddy, Father, I'm not living in fear approaching God. I don't have to have fear. My kids are never scared when they come up and they approach me. Why? Because I'm their daddy and they have access to me. Everybody else's kids terrified of me, but not my kids because they don't know if they have access to me. They don't know. So this is what I'm saying. Like it used to be, I don't want to get near God because if I'm sinful and if I'm controlled by my sinful nature and desires, like the, the last thing I want is to get into the presence of God. What the Holy Spirit does is it causes you to be adopted into his family. Now you don't have to be afraid of the presence of God. Now you have the boldness of a child approaching their daddy. There's no fear. There's this expectation that you're going to receive relationally from him. So this whole thing is talking about, in the beginning, Paul says, you used to be controlled by your sinful nature that you were dominated by it. It says in the Bible that we were slaves to sin, that no matter what we wanted, we might have said, I want to live a good life that's pleasing to God. I don't want to sin anymore. But because you were under the power of sin, because of a sinful nature, you kept sinning and you kept going back and doing the things that you hated doing. Now, he talks about this in chapter 7, like this, I, I want to do good things, but I always end up doing the things I hate and the things that I, I want to do, I don't do. He's going through all of this agony of it, and he's revealing to us it's because there's a sinful nature that was going on inside of us. But then he goes on to say that Jesus took all of the sins that we had committed, all of the ways that we had missed the mark, all of the ways that we had rebelled against God and what it was that he commanded us to do, all of the things that separated us from God that caused us to be fearful of him and of his presence, all of the things that caused us to deserve the punishment of God in our life. It says that Jesus took those to the cross with him and that he atoned for our sins. And that's why we have the boldness in approaching God. 
It's not that we're approaching God as a, a sinful people who deserve his wrath. We're approaching God as pure, holy children who are sin-free because Jesus removed all of our sin from us on the cross. And now we have the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And that is incredible news. That should get you pumped up knowing that Jesus has not just like forgiven your sins, but he's removed your sins from you so that now you have full access like a child to their father in relationship to with God. But it's even better than that. I think a lot of times we get really pumped up about the fact that our sins are forgiven and atoned for, and we're really jazzed about that, but we, we miss out on this other part that Paul now goes on to talking about. He says, it's not just that you've been forgiven of your sins, but you've been freed from your sinful nature. That although you used to be slaves to sin, you had a nature that was sin, all of your desires were to do sinful things, that now you've been freed from that nature, that no longer do you have to continue to live out the sins and the sinful desires that are inside of you. And the reason for that is because Jesus has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit who now dwells inside of us, that we became temples for the Holy Spirit. God, like he commanded the Israelites to build a temple. For him, that was the place where his presence was on the face of the earth, and you go and you worship him. But that was never the long-term goal for him. The goal was to have us become the temple for his presence, that he wanted to live and to dwell inside of us. That kind of an intimacy and uh, deep connection with him was what we were always created for. And that's what is being restored to us that Paul's talking about, is that we're not just slaves to a sinful nature anymore, but we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, that God himself has taken up residence in us as his temple, and that along with the Holy Spirit come the desires of the Holy Spirit, who only wants to live a life that's pleasing to God. So you used to, it's like this, you have a desire to eat donuts, right? Like if you don't, I don't know what's wrong with you. Donuts are awesome. You have a desire to eat donuts, but you recognize that it turns you, like you're going to be on my 600-pound life someday if you just keep giving in to the desires of the donuts and you don't stop and eat celery or kale instead. But you know what? Kale tastes terrible. I don't have any desire for the good things in my life. Well, it's the same way with sin. Is that we have these desires for sin, but now a stronger desire has come into us, the desire to live a life that's pleasing to God that comes from the Holy Spirit. And now we don't have to live out the old sinful desires anymore of eating our donuts and doing whatever else, but now we can live a life that's pleasing to God because it's not like, okay, I know I can't eat the donuts. I need to eat kale even though it's terrible. And so you'll do it for a week and then you go back to the donuts. That's the way it is with sin with us. It's like, ah, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but it's so much more fun than not doing it. Well, now the Holy Spirit comes into you and he has desires to live a life that's pleasing for God. So now it's like Jesus makes kale taste good to you and you want to eat kale chips and you're excited about that and donuts don't look good to you anymore. I'm way off on this. But <laughs> you can tell I hate kale. The Holy Spirit comes in and gives you new desires that are opposite of the old sinful desires. Which means that now you can live a life where you don't have to continue to sin. You have the power, the ability, and the desire to do things that are pleasing to God and to resist temptation. So the question is, why is following a life like that so difficult? If I have the Holy Spirit living in me who's given me the desires of God for my life, if I have the freedom and the ability to resist sin and, and all the temptation that comes along with it, then why on earth is it so hard to actually do that? And the answer for that is because there are three seats of desire inside of you. 
inside of every single one of us. We've all been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us desires to live a life that's pleasing to God, but that's not the only desires that we have in our life. I have a body, this mess right here. It's the best one I've got, so don't laugh at it too much. But this is my physical body, and you know what? My physical body has desires too. My physical body loves comfort. It loves pleasure. It speaks to me. It tells me at like 3 a.m., you need to eat nachos. Like, feed me. I'm hungry. It wants to be comfortable. It wants to be lazy. There are desires that come from your body. But there's more than just that. We also have a soul. And our soul, that means like that's our emotions. It's our intellect. It's our thinking. It's our mind. And it has desires too. Like, our, mind, our minds always want to be in charge. You ever notice your mind always wants to be God? And it always wants to be the judge over everybody else for what's right and wrong, how everybody else should live and behave. Uh, you're, it doesn't ever want to do things like forgive people. It holds records of wrong. The mind has desires of its own, and the desires of the mind and the desires of the body are all subject to the temptation of Satan. See, Satan doesn't come and try to tempt the desires of the Holy Spirit in you. Holy Spirit, all it wants to do is follow after, after Jesus. It just wants to live a life that's pleasing to God. Satan can't tempt you in that area. So what Satan does is he comes and he tempts you in the area of the desires of your body and in the desires of your soul or your emotions. Like we all, like your body, what does it want to do? Like you've seen people that are led by their bodies, like I'm going to smoke what I want, I'm going to drink what I want, eat what I want, sleep with who I want, whatever. So Satan comes and like there's all these desires that he stirs up inside of your body. And you're like, yeah, that sounds really good. I want to go after it. I want to do these things. But your body, it doesn't care at all about the desires of the Holy Spirit to live life pleasing to God. And your body doesn't care about the emotions or the soul part of you too. If you just follow after all the desires of your body, it's going to lead you emotionally into just absolute ruin. Your soul will be destroyed, but your body doesn't care. It only wants what it wants. Your soul is the same way. Your soul has desires. Your soul is the way that you connect with other people. Uh, like, the desire of God, the Holy Spirit stirs up inside of you is to forgive people. How many times is the natural desire of your emotions to forgive someone who's just wronged you? That, that never is like my first thought, like, oh, they, they just really hurt me. I just want to forgive them. That's my natural desire. Holy Spirit's like, you need to forgive them. Emotions are like, no, don't forgive them. And then there's a fight that goes on. None of us just naturally want to be generous. Our souls, they like to be greedy. They like to hold on to shiny things. They like to collect things. Our souls, they always want to like, determine what's right and what's wrong. They want to become the seed of truth and authority. Our souls have desires. In fact, our emotions can get so out of whack and our, the desires of the soul can care so little about the desires of the Holy Spirit, the desires of the body, that your soul and these desires will actually lead you to destroy your body. That's what happens with people that are cutting or that kill themselves. It's that the soul has become so hurt and its desire is just to kill the body so that it can get out of here. That's what happens when we let the soul be in the seat of authority. And every single one of us, these desires are competing and in every single one of us, we're going to end up living with one of them as the dominant driving factor in our life. One of them is going to speak the loudest to us in the area of our desires. It's either going to be the desires of your body, it's going to be the desires of your soul and your emotions, or it's going to be the desires of the Holy Spirit. 
So how is it that we can live out the desires of the Holy Spirit? Well, whichever one is strongest in your life, whichever one is the loudest, whichever is the one that you feed the most, that's the one that's going to take up authority and be the driving force inside of your life, whether it be your body, your soul, or the desires of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus, he experienced the same thing that we did. He wasn't born with a sinful nature like we have, but he went through temptation. He was born not having to be a slave to sin, but he still had to deal with the temptation to sin. He had to deal with the desires of his body. Like Jesus also wanted to eat nachos at 3 a.m. <laughs> Jesus also had the temptation to not forgive people. Like when his disciples are being idiots, he, like, I'm sure there was a temptation of like, I'm just going like to call down fire and destroy them all and start over. Because that's the desire of the soul that we experience. But he also had the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in his life, just like we all do. And what Jesus does is he sets the example for us of what the holy is for us. Like this is the holy possible is the life of Jesus. He didn't just die on the cross for our sins to forgive us, give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, but he also became the prototype for what life can and should be like for us. So Jesus goes and he's baptized with the Holy Spirit in Matthew, and um, as soon as he receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which brings him the empowerment to do the things that God's called him to do, it says this right afterwards. It says, right after he's received the, uh, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it says, Then Jesus, in chapter 4 of Matthew, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. And during that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here's what Satan does. Recognizes that Jesus is at a weak state. Because right now he hasn't eaten in 40 days. That is a long... I haven't come anywhere close to not eating in 40 days. 40 hours is tough. 40 days is insane. Like the most needless passage in the Bible is, and he was very hungry. Like you didn't have to put that in there. After 40 days of not eating, we were all tracking along with that. And so what Satan does is he comes and he tempts Jesus by appealing to the desires of his body. Haven't eaten in 40 days, huh? Must be pretty hungry. I got an idea. Why don't you turn those stones into bread? You can eat. You know what his body says? Yeah. Like, Satan, that's a good idea. I, I'm very, very hungry. Right now, I could really use something to eat. That's the desire of his body. That's how Satan's tempting Jesus' body. The desire of the emotion. What's he emotionally thinking right now? Like, yeah, you know what? I am the son of God. That's true. That's truth. This checks out. Satan, body, let's, let's go ahead. Let's do this. Let's eat. God doesn't want me to be hungry. But what does the Holy Spirit say? The desire of the Holy Spirit's obedience. And the Holy Spirit says, no, we're not going to break the fast that God has called us to. We're going to keep on fasting. Because you know what? Body, I know that you think that life is sustained by food, but it's not. Life is sustained by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. So that's what we're going to feast on. That's where we're going to find life. We're going to indulge in the word of God and we'll continue to fast as long as the Father calls us to. How was Jesus able to do this? Because he'd been fasting 
In fasting, what he did was he taught his body that it wasn't in charge. In fasting, he taught his soul that it wasn't in charge. And in doing that, he strengthened the voice and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. So then, the Satan tempts him again. It says, And then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord our God. So here's the temptation. Jesus is the Son of God. Not a whole lot of people know this at this point. Nobody knows it. Just Jesus and Satan, pretty much. So what does Satan do? He comes and he appeals to the desires of the soul, to the emotion. Yeah, I'm going to prove that I'm the Son of God. Nobody's looking at me for who I am. I need to prove to people who I really am. What he's trying to do is make him question who he really is or make him feel like he has to validate himself. Do you know why Jesus, now he knew he was the Son of God? Because God told him he was the Son of God. He didn't have to do anything to prove that he was the Son of God. He was the Son of God because he was, and God confirmed it with his voice. Satan was trying to do it at the fourth grade thing, like, you know, you think you're tough? Prove it. If he'd listened to his emotions, he would have given in. He would have disobeyed the Father. But through fasting, what he did was he, he made the, vi the voice of his soul and his body have to come into submission and amplified the voice of the Holy Spirit. So when he came into the place of temptation, the, the desires of the flesh and the desires of his emotions weren't so strong that it led him to sin. And then there's one last temptation. This next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory and said, I will give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out, Satan, Jesus said, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. What's happening here is Jesus knows that he is going to be elevated to the position of king over all of the world. It's what he came to do. He came to defeat the powers of sin and death. He came to defeat all dark forces in this world and to reign and to rule over them, to utterly vanquish all of the forces of Satan. So what Satan does is he says, hey, you're, you're going to be king, but I can make it so you don't have to go to the cross to be king. I can give you a shortcut to your destiny. I mean, come, I mean, this is the will of God. You're, you're supposed to be king. Well, I'll make you king. You're going to rule over all of the earth? I can make you rule over all the earth. All you have to do is to bow down and to worship me, and then you won't have to go to the cross. You won't have to suffer. You won't have to die. You can be king. So what's the body say? Like, yeah, that's a real good idea. I do not want to go to the cross. I don't want to get beaten. I don't want to get spit on. I don't want to get clubbed. I don't want to get flogged. I don't want to get crucified. The body's all in for this plane. What does the emotions and the soul say? Their desire is, well, I don't want to go through the emotion of bearing the sin of the world on myself. I don't want to go through the emotional heartache of having all of my disciples and my family abandon me in my hour of greatest need. I don't want to have to know what it's like to be separated from God because of the sin of the world that I'm about to take on myself. What does the voice of the Holy Spirit say? No, we're going to be obedient. 
The desire for obedience to everything God called him to was stronger than the desires of the body, and it was stronger than the desires of the soul and all of the emotion that comes along with it. And that all happened because Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. For 40 days, he'd been telling his body, you're not in control. I know you want to eat food. I know that we're supposed to eat food. Food's a good thing. But letting my body and this desire control my life will lead me to ruin and to destruction. I'm glad we have emotions. God expresses emotions. We're made in his image. We're emotional beings. I'm glad for that. Emotions are a great thing in marriage most of the time. Emotions are a great thing when we worship Jesus. But if we just allow our emotions to control our life, then it's going to lead us to ruin again and again and again. Because Satan's always going to tempt us in the area of the desires of our bodies and then the desires of our soul. But through fasting, what we're able to do and what Jesus did, and we see this pattern all throughout his ministry, is no matter how Satan came to tempt him, and he's going to come, and he's going to tempt us over and over and over again. If we've made it so the desires of our body and the desires of our soul have already been beaten to submission through fasting, then the voice of the Holy Spirit and the desires of the Holy Spirit are the ones that are going to dominate our life and are going to lead us into living a life that's pleasing to God, that's able to overcome all temptation to sin. It's the life Jesus lived. It's the life that he modeled for us as being possible for us. And Jesus just did this beautifully. And it's not just that fasting is beneficial for us. But fasting is something that God actually commands us to do. Fasting is an expectation for believers. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. He's teaching on fasting and the reward that comes from it. He says, when you fast meaning that it is something that we are going to do. He even confirmed this farther in Matthew chapter 9. He says, my disciples will fast. He didn't say my disciples might fast. But what he's saying is that if you're going to follow after me, if you're going to live a life, the life that I've called you to, that's dominated by the desires of the Holy Spirit, and the desires of the Holy Spirit are leading you into the life that I've called you to, where you're able to resist sin, the only way that you're going to be able to do that is that fasting is a normal part of your life. Continuing to put the other desires down underneath and elevating the desires and the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of your life. It's the way God created us to be. And fasting is a normal part of the life of believers. We see this. In Acts, when you read through that, it, it takes, you see it opens with the ascension of Jesus into heaven and then the first 40 years of the New Testament church. And as you read through that, you see again and again, the disciples, what are they doing? They're gathering together and they're praying and they're fasting. And as they pray and fast, there's miraculous things that occur. And here's what praying and fasting did inside of their lives. It made it so that they had a passion for Jesus. They loved Jesus more than they loved life itself. They knew him deeply and intimately. They overcame temptation and sin. They went through incredible persecution and pain where their bodies and their souls and their sinful desires were crying out. But because they had been fasting and praying, the desires of the Holy Spirit were so strong inside of their life that they weren't derailed, they weren't sidetracked, but they were able to move into the fullness of everything that God called them to. And they were able to make disciples in their generation. They were able to turn the world upside down and then enter into eternity where they heard, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your reward. That's the life I want. That's the life I want for us as Radiant Church. 
a bunch of people who are so passionate about Jesus, a bunch of people who are going out and making disciples of our generation, that in our time, in the hour that God has called us to, in the hour of our opportunity, that we go and that we make disciples of Jesus Christ, and we're not sidetracked, we're not waylaid, we don't go after all of these other things that, that keep us from doing everything God made us to, that keep us from knowing him deeply and intimately, and all because we let the desires of our body take control of our life, or we let the desires of our emotions take control of our life. I only want the desires of the Holy Spirit leading me in every decision that I make. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to fast. And I'm going to have to pray. Because remember, our problem is what? We're unbelieving, meaning we're disconnected from God. How do we remedy that? Through prayer. We connect with the living God. And then the other problem is we're perverse. We're too connected to the world. So how do we remedy that? By fasting. We disconnect from the world through fasting, and we connect to Jesus through prayer. And when we do that, that Romans 8, that becomes our life. We used to follow our sinful desires. We used to be slave to sin, but we don't do that anymore. Now we're led by the Holy Spirit who leads us into life. And that old sinful desires we used to have, we've put those to death through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have to fast and we have to pray. And this is what I'm asking you to do, is to make this a part of your normal life. Just like we see Jesus commanded us to, and just like we see demonstrated and modeled in the New Testament church, and really if you look at the people who've done great things in the kingdom of God, you won't find a single one of them who didn't pray and fast as a regular part of their life. I believe every single one of us, Jesus wants to do world-changing things in. Maybe not in the way that the world thinks of, like there's going to be media and platform and all that stuff, but Jesus has plans and purposes for you that are world-changing and that will shape the generation that we live in and will lead to Jesus receiving glory and to other people receiving life and freedom. Every single one of us has been called to that. We've all been called to know God deeply and intimately. Every single one of us. That's what Jesus is calling us to. But these old sinful desires, they keep rearing their head. The desires of our body, the desires of our emotion, and we keep feeding them and we don't beat them into place. And when we don't do that, they end up becoming so strong and so loud and the voice of the Holy Spirit becomes so weak in us that we start living just like everybody else that's around us. And we forfeit all of the incredible things that God called us to. Not just for us, for all the people that Jesus wanted to use us to bless. Life and death are in the balance for us as Christians. Maybe not ours, the life and death of the people that we've been called to minister to. It's an issue of freedom for some. You might be living in the freedom that God's given you, and you're on your way to heaven, and that's great. But if you don't allow the voice and the desires of the Holy Spirit in your life to become strong and to allow you to live a spirit-led life, then all the people that you are supposed to bless, they're going to miss out on the blessing that you were supposed to give them or that Jesus was supposed to funnel through you to them. It's not worth it. It's worth living a life of prayer and fasting so that we can do everything 
that Jesus has called us to so that he can receive as much glory as we can possibly give him so that we can know him as deeply and as intimately as we can possibly know him and so that the world around us that we've been called to reach, the world around us that's living in death, the world around us that's living in slavery, so that they can receive the life and the freedom that only Jesus can give them, that he wants to bring to them through us. I don't like fasting. I'll be real honest. I get hungry. But it's worth it. It's worth it. When I fast and pray, I love Jesus more. Why? Because the desire of the Holy Spirit in me is to love Jesus. I know Jesus more when I fast and when I pray. I sin a whole lot less when I'm in a season of praying and fasting. And I do a whole lot more of the supernatural that Jesus has called me to when I'm living connected to him and disconnected from the world that's around me. We need to pray and fast. So here's what I'm asking you all to do. Starting next week, I'm going to start teaching us some things that as a church we're going to pray and fast for, for ourselves, for our church, and for our city. And what I want you to do is to join me in this. I want you to, like, we've been learning about it for 21 days. Now let's start putting some of this stuff into practice. If we just hear about it and it becomes knowledge we don't do anything with, like, so what? That doesn't matter. But it's when it really sinks down in our heart and we say, okay, God, I'm going to come into obedience I'm going to come into alignment with your call on my life. That's when you're going to start seeing God do something miraculous inside of you. We need it. This church needs it. Our city needs it. It's worth it. So this week what I want you to do is, as you start thinking about uh, praying and fasting beginning next week with us, is I want you to set your objectives. Like, why are you praying? Why are you fasting? Like, if you're just... Fasting and praying to lose weight, like good news, that's the only reward you'll get and you probably won't lose much weight. <laughs> like something significant that comes out of it. You know why I pray and fast? It's a way that I declare my dependence upon God. Jesus, I love mac and cheese, but it doesn't sustain me. You do. My life is dependent upon you. Jesus, my gifting, it doesn't sustain me. I'm grateful for my gifting. I'm grateful for the blessings that I've received, but those don't sustain me. Those can't lead me into what it is that you've called me to do. Those can't bless other people. Only you can do that. Jesus, my life and my call is also utterly dependent upon you. Part of the reason why I pray and fast is to ask for forgiveness. God, forgive me. We just came out of Christmas and you know, football bowl season and all that stuff. We abused the heck out of our bodies and our emotions. We cried and we laughed as our teams won and lost and we ate way too much terrible food. We fed our bodies, and we fed our emotions and our soul. Now it's time to recalibrate. Say, God, forgive me. I've made all of these other things so important in my life. I've been neglecting the Holy Spirit in my life. God, I want you to change my heart. I want to be like you. I use it to refocus on the eternal. There's all these other stupid things that I put so much time and thought and attention into, and in the grand scheme of things, it just doesn't matter. And the one thing that matters is Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit in me. 
It's me living out his call on my life. It's me knowing him deeply. It's me finding him to be so worthy that I surrender my entire life to him. I want to put my focus back on that, and that's what I do when I pray and I fast. Uh, it's, I want to encounter the presence of the living God. It's the greatest desire that I have in my life. And every day it becomes stronger and a greater desire because the more you feed that, the more it stirs up inside of you. I don't want to live my life... You know, it says that the church, we're the bride of Christ. We're the bride, and he's the bridegroom. I don't want this to be a marriage where I meet him at the altar. It's like, oh, hey, who are you? Like, I want to get to know Jesus before the wedding day. I want to spend my whole life before I cross into eternity getting to know him, encountering his presence, hearing him speak to me, knowing that he's hearing me, living every moment of my day with this deep awareness of the presence of God in my life. And then it's believing God for answers to the needs that I have. There are things that I have, some, some needs that I have. For me, even for my own health, for my family, for what it is that Jesus has called me to do. There's needs that we have for the church. There's needs that our city has. There's needs that our nation have, that my wife has, my kids have. There are all of these things. And so what I do is I write them down. Like, God, these are the things that I'm praying for. This is why I'm fasting. I'm shutting out these other voices so that I can hear you and so that I can really go after petitioning you for these things in the place of prayer. What are you praying for? What are you believing God for? And then lastly, I want you to expect some results. I want you to go into a season of prayer and fasting in your life, really believing that Jesus is going to do something. This is what it says in Isaiah 58, verses 8 through 9. This whole chapter is about fasting and fasting in the right way. The nation of Israel is messed up, and they're coming back, and they're fasting, and they're praying. And God says, talking about when you fast, then Shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. What it's saying, what God is telling us is that when we pray and when we fast, when we come after him, when we seek after him, when we connect to him, and we disconnect from the world and silence the voice of the body and the voice of the emotions and soul in our life, it says that healing is going to speedily come. I have some needs for healing in my life, in my emotions, in my thought patterns. I have some needs for physical healing in my life. I need healing in some relationships. Look at the world around us. Our world is in desperate need of the healing that only God can bring. And it says that the healing speedily comes when we fast and when we pray in the right way. It says that then our righteousness is going to be our rear guard. And what it's talking about is holiness. It's not saying that you're going to become perfect, but as you pray and as you fast, what you're doing is you're becoming more holy. And that means to be more set apart for God and for his purposes and his plans. The same body, my life isn't for your purposes and your plans. Soul, my life isn't about your purposes and your plans. My life is holy. It's set apart for God, for his purposes, his plans, and his desires for me. And that happens. That's stirred up inside of us when we pray and fast in the right way. And then it says that God himself is going to be our help. It says we're going to call out to him. He's going to answer. We're going to cry. And he's going to say, here I am. That when we pray and when we fast, he's the God of here I am. God, I need your help. Here I am. I need some help from Jesus. I need the here I am of God in my life. 
And the way that I move into that more is through prayer and through fasting. So this week, think about what kind of fast you want to do. There's all different types of fast. First, I pick out kind of the pattern you want. I'm a big believer in uh, three-day fast, five-day fast, week-long fast, 21-day fast, month-long fast. Uh, but I'm also a big believer in making fasting a part of your life. Maybe for you it's saying, like the early church, they fasted every Wednesday and Friday. That was a part of the rhythm of their life. It's part of why they accomplished so much. I think every one of us, we should have a day a week where we fast and say, this is the day that I'm setting it apart. This is the day that I'm holy for God. I'm silencing other voices. I'm empowering the Holy Spirit. I'm seeking after Jesus today through fasting. Maybe for you, that's the starting point. I'm going to fast a day a week. Or maybe it's, I'm going to try a three-day fast, a five-day fast, whatever it is. But figure out what it is that you want to start at. And then pick the type of fast that you want to do. Whether it's a water fast, where all you do is drink water for the period of time that you've set apart, or a juice fast, a Daniel fast, which is eating vegetables and fruits. Um, maybe there's medical reasons why you're not able to you know, limit what you're eating. Do a comfort fast. Get rid of social media. Get rid of all media, whatever it is some sort of comfort thing that you have in your life, like ice cream. But say, I'm going to give up something that my emotions or that my body has become attached to and that speaks loudly to me so that they can learn to be submitted to me and be submitted to the desires of the Holy Spirit in my life. So pick the type of fast you want to do. Think about a, you know, getting a rhythm to your life, whether it's one day a week or maybe God's calling you, hey, I'm going to fast for a week or 21 days, whatever it might be. Let the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has God's desires He's in you, so he's going to be able to lead you in the way that you should fast and what you should fast. But we do know that Jesus has said, we will fast. It's a call for every single one of us, and we've seen the benefits of fasting, what happens when we do. What would happen in Radiant Church if we in this room became people who prayed and fasted? And that was the way that we lived our life. You'd love Jesus a whole lot more like our kids apparently do right now. <laughs> and you'd overcome all of the temptation that Satan brings to you as he appeals to your body and to your emotions. What's that sin you're struggling with right now that you just keep trying to break? Whether it's a physical thing or an emotional thing that's going on. It's because it's become too powerful in your life and you're feeding the desires of your body or of your emotions. Fasting is going to break that power so that now the power of the Holy Spirit and the desires of the Holy Spirit that lead you into righteousness and all of God's plans and purposes is going to be the voice that you hear and that you obey. You'll have the power to overcome temptation when you become a person who prays and a person who fasts. Would you stand with me this morning? Jesus, we want you we want everything that you have for us. And God, I pray that even in this moment that you would become the God who says, here I am. God, for the people in this room who are far from you, maybe they believe that they could know you, but they just haven't. There's been some, some block that keeps keeping them away from you. And they've lost faith or hope that they can know you. Maybe they've never believed that they can know you deeply and intimately, that they can hear your voice and live with you. They haven't known you as the God who says, here I am. Jesus, I pray right now that you would silence the lies of the enemy who's been lying to them and keeping them from believing that that's the life that's possible. 
Jesus, I pray that now you would speak to their hearts, do something to confirm that this message is true. It's not just the words of a man, but this is the truth, the words of God that are spoken to their hearts. Holy Spirit, would you stir up a desire inside of every heart in this room to know you more, to know you as the God who says, here I am, to know you as the God of the speedy healing, to know you as the God that lets righteousness be our rear guard. Jesus, we want to know you. Jesus, we want to overcome all temptation. Jesus, we want to be holy. We want to be a people who are set apart for you and for your purposes. No longer slaves to sin. No longer slaves to the desires of our body and to our emotions. But Jesus, those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit and all of the desires of the Holy Spirit for us. Jesus, that we would be a people who are truly led by the Holy Spirit. And God, would you stir up a conviction inside of us to be people who pray and who fast. And God, strengthen us and lead us into this. Jesus, our lives are for you. If there's one thing that we have in this life, we want it to be you. And so we're coming after you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have my prayer partners come forward and they'll be on the outside of the front here. And if there's anything that we can pray with you about, and we would love to do that. We would love to pray with you in agreement to overcome whatever sin issue you might have. If you need healing in your body, if you need wisdom for a decision, reconciliation in a relationship, if you just need more of Jesus, come, let us pray for you. It's normal for the church to pray for each other. And we see Jesus move miraculously every single week in response to the prayers of his people. And here's another thing I want to tell you about too, I forgot. On Thursday nights from 8 to 9 p.m., we meet right in here. And the reason that we meet here is because we just want to pray together. We need to pray and fast individually, but we also need to gather together corporately. So from 8 to 9 p.m. right here on Thursday nights, the band leads us and worship for a little bit, and then we just spend some time praying. We pray for revival for our city. We pray that God would strengthen the church, Radiant Church, the churches in our city. We pray that God would do signs and wonders. We pray for salvation to come to our friends and our families. Uh, we pray that Jesus would be worshipped and adored, and then we spend some time praying for each other at the end. So it's incredibly powerful. I'd encourage you, especially as you're moving into a season of prayer and fasting, come out here on Thursday nights, join us, and let's pray together. If not, uh, we'll see you on Sunday morning. And then remember, next Sunday night, we have our night of worship at 6.30. You'll want to be there for that. It's going to be incredible. And if you want to uh, host a breakout, not breakout, breakthrough, something I'm talking too much. I have reached my word limit for the day. If you want to do breakthrough hosting, do that online or at radiant82.com or talk to one of our uh, guest central people, and we'll get you hooked up with that. Thanks so much. God bless, and we'll see you soon.